Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Well, good morning, church. Uh, We're so glad you could join us today. Uh, I hope you get an opportunity to say hi to your mom, send her some flowers, um, whether you're with her in person or not. Uh, So from us to all of you moms out there, happy Mother's Day. Um, We uh, would be completely and totally lost without you. Um, Me, literally, uh, a lot of times. Uh, My wife is the direction giver in our house, specifically in the car, uh, also around the house. Um, And so uh, happy Mother's Day to all of you, especially my wife, my mom, uh, my mother-in-law. Happy Mother's Day uh, to you all. Uh, We are marching through this series called Family Tree right now. And uh, I'm going to tell a little story about really the beginning of mine and Sarah's family. I'm actually going to rewind just a little bit before that because when I was single and going to college, uh, uh, myself and four of my friends, we um, ended up renting this kind of mini mansion in Clovis. It was right about the time that people were building houses faster than uh, people could purchase houses. And so uh, there was this investor from San Francisco who wanted to build a home in Fresno as a uh, uh, kind of an investment, and he couldn't find anybody to purchase it. So he put it up for rent, uh, and me and my four friends in college lived in this 4,000-square-foot mansion uh, when we were in college together. And it was phenomenal. And so you would, you would pull up on the street um, in this beautiful neighborhood and see our beautiful house um, and see our beautiful lawn and all of the landscaping and all that stuff and you would come up and something interesting would happen. Uh, You would knock on the door and then you would come in and as you walked in you would realize that we literally had nothing. We had zero furniture in this entire place. Actually as you walked in uh, there was a dining room and supposed to be a living room there. It was this massive room uh, and we literally only had one couch there. Actually, after, uh, after I moved out, I heard my roommates bought a full-size trampoline and put it into that room uh, to serve as furniture because there were 20-foot ceilings. There was a whole lot of uh, room in that space. So like, hey, let's put a trampoline in there. Why put a trampoline in there? Because they could. Uh, that's why. Um, but so we had that room. And then we had another room that as you continued through, uh, there was another room that was kind of like our living room and our kitchen area, right? And so in our living room, we, of course, we had two sofas, neither of which matched. One of them was much older than the other. I actually know that one of them cost $5 to purchase from a yard sale uh, because I'm the one who purchased it. So you can imagine the shape that it was in. Um, We did have a dining table. There were five of us. Uh, Four of us could fit around the dining table. Uh, and then we had a, uh, a little nook for our refrigerator that actually wasn't a full-sized refrigerator, so it looked really, really tiny in that little nook. The one thing I will say that we did have that made us feel like uh, big kids was the one thing that every single male invests in at some point in his life, and that was a big screen TV that was too big uh, for any of us to be able to own, and then also a, uh, a Nintendo Wii that we purchased by camping out at Target for 24 hours overnight to ensure that we got uh, the Nintendo Wii as well. So we had those things, so that was good. Uh, But then outside of that, we just had stuff in our rooms. We had our beds, we had our desks, and we had our computers. And that was it. 
There was no decor to think about. There was nothing nice to think about. It, it didn't come with curtains, so we didn't have curtains. I remember my roommates put up bed sheets on their windows, which I'm sure the neighbors loved. Um, but all that to be said, I didn't ever think about those things. And then something interesting happened. I got engaged. And as I got engaged, uh, they let you do this really cool thing called registering for gifts uh, before your wedding. And so what happens is you go to a store, probably Target or Bed Bath & Beyond, and you walk in and you say, hey, I want to register for my wedding. They say, okay, cool. Here's a little radar gun. Go around to anything that you want and click that radar gun. It'll show up on a list and people will buy stuff for you. It's probably the greatest time in my entire life that I can think of, right? They're like, hey, here's a gun. Shoot stuff and people will give you free things. <laughs> Done. I'm going to do that. Okay, so of course in my head I'm thinking, okay, I can scan anything. I'm thinking to myself, hold on. I can scan cereal and Top Ramen with this stuff? Sarah, like we will be set for months if we could just simply register for that. She had other things in mind, obviously, things that she would deem more important, like dishes and curtains and throw pillows and things that would make our first apartment a home. Yeah, I never thought about that. I don't think about making things into a home. I think about function. I was thinking about function at that point. Um, And uh, all of a sudden, I got married and this place where I used to literally come home, sleep, watch TV, and then I would leave and go do things, I was in this place that turned into a home for us. I never cared about making a place into that when I was single. As long as I had a sweet TV, I had my bed, and possibly a 15-foot indoor trampoline, I was fine. Those things were fine. But my wife wanted decor. She wanted our home to be a place where people felt comfortable coming into. And as we had more and more and more and more and more kids, our decor and our home actually gradually started to change. And more and more scripture began showing up on our walls. There's one uh, that we have up on our walls. It's right next to our boys' room. It's Joshua 1.9. In Joshua 1.9, it says this, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This one was put up uh, shortly after our kids started getting nervous uh, as they were going to sleep and that sort of thing, as young kids do. But even as they've grown up, as they've gotten older, this is still something we reference when they're nervous about a test, when they're having a hard time uh, with friends or anything like that. We reference Joshua 1.9. It's sitting there right on the wall. Another one that we have in our house is Philippians 4.8. It says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That one's in our living room. And so as we're having conversations as a family, as we're having to talk with our kids about, hey, let's not argue, let's think about these different things, or where is your mind at right now? We can simply point to this verse and think about, hey, man, hey, remember, is that something that you should be thinking about? Is that something that is true? Is that something that is worthy of your thoughts, right? So we have these different things that showed up in our house, and I never really thought about it when I was younger. We have scripture on our walls, not just because uh, my wife wanted our house to look cute, which I think is the right word to use when you're talking about home decor 
uh, and that sort of thing. But because she wanted our home, my wife and now the mother of our kids wanted our home to be a training ground for our kids as they head out into the world. We want our kids to be equipped with truth as they go into a world that is devoid of it. Why? Well, one, we want to be good parents. And these are the things that we believe, so we want to train our kids that. But also because the church needs to think more passionately about the next generation. Every single individual church is one generation away from it dying. So the minute that we stop focusing on the next generation is the minute that we have signed our death certificate as a church. We should all have a vested interest in the next generation whether you have kids at home or not, if you're a parent or not, maybe you're a grandparent, maybe you're an aunt, an uncle, maybe you've got small cousins, maybe you're single and you get to hang out with friends who have uh, small kids, you volunteer in our kids' ministry or, or simply know that there are kids in the world, you should have a vested interest in the next generation. Because even if you don't have a kid at home, even if you don't have a kid at home, you need to make sure that you are personally establishing rhythms that are going to help connect you to God. In the same way that one of mine and Sarah's rhythms, one of the things that we've put into place in our life is putting decor all around our house with scripture on it. So our kids know, even if they never crack the Bible on their own, that, hey, mom and dad care about truth. Mom and dad care about God's word. And these are things that I can live by. These are things that are going to encourage me and help me in my faith. Have you established some of those rhythms to to love God more deeply? Have you developed rhythms of maybe deep connection with other people, with other believers? Have you developed rhythms of deep connection with God? Especially now that you're home all day with your spouse and her kids, how how are you getting quiet time in the midst of that time? Maybe it's a question to ask yourself of of how do you best connect to God and are you implementing that into those kind of daily flows and rhythms of life. In the Old Testament, okay, there's this incredibly important piece of scripture that's called the Shema. Okay, the Shema is viewed by those in the Jewish faith as one of the most important verses in the Hebrew Bible and they hold to it as a commandment, actually. They recite these verses every single morning and every single evening and is one of only two mandated daily prayers that they have to do. This is part of the rhythm that they have built into their lives. They recognize this was a commandment by God and so because of that, we are going to pray that in the morning and we are going to pray that in the evening. This is actually found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It starts in verse 4. It says this, Hear, O Israel, The Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. See, this is actually, verse 9 is where Sarah, and I, or where Sarah specifically took the idea of Scripture and putting it into our homes. From the Shema, from verse 9 specifically, write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. Write these truths down. Put these truths into practice. Impress them on your kids. 
Do all of these things. So normally, when we, when we talk about this, can we actually go back one verse? Would be very helpful. Back one, one slide, rather. So when we talk about this verse, normally what we do is we camp in verse 5. This is an important verse to Christians overall where it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is actually uh, quoted by Jesus in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, where it says this. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Jesus is quoting the Shema in the book of Matthew. And this would have been incredibly important to those Jewish believers to know that Jesus is actually quoting the same thing that they would have held incredibly dear from Deuteronomy chapter 6, specifically from the Shema. And for all intents and purposes, we need to recognize that God is the only God. It says that, it tells us that in verse 4, where it says, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And we recognize that because his power extends to all nations. Israel needs to worship him. This is Deuteronomy, so Old Testament Jewish faith. Israel must worship him and worship him alone. Israel itself, it it, it needs to be unified in the same way that we as Christians need to be unified in one heart and in one mind. In Hebrew, the words you and your, specifically in this passage, are the words used when speaking to a single individual. Okay? This, is, this is a reminder for us then that it is not enough for God's people to simply just go through certain motions in life. It's, it's a reminder that God's people are not just supposed to go through certain motions in worship. Rather, they must truly love God. They must truly devote their whole lives to him. The phrase, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, is a way of saying the whole person, every single part of you. We need to love God completely. So in order to figure out how we do that, I want to venture a a bit further into uh, the Shema because I think it's going to be uh, uh, important that we all agree that that verse 4 really is talking about uh, who we worship and who our worship should be directed to, which is the Lord God. Verse 5 is kind of how we should worship with all our heart, soul, and strength, right? Uh, But verses 6 through 9 talks about uh, how important that worship is by telling us how to implement it into our lives. How to implement these things into our lives. Verse 6 through 9 are talking about the idea of making these teachings something you both dwell on and teach on on a regular basis. So as we continue to walk through this, I I want to, to ask yourself, Two questions, okay? The first question is this, is how am I dwelling on these truths? That's the first one. What, what are the rhythms that you are putting into your life uh, in order to dwell on the truth that the Lord our God is one? Because that's very clear that the words of God are supposed to be before his people all the time. That's what 6 through 9 is talking about in Deuteronomy 6. These are part of the routines of life. When you lay down and when you wake up, all these different routines, these things should be before us in every normal human activity. We need to remember that Christianity, it's, it's not a religion for, for the Sabbath. It's not a religion for Sundays only. God has something to say about every single aspect of life and every single decision that human beings can make. 
The crucial point is, is that God's word should be upon your hearts. So how are you dwelling on God's word? Those who love God will want to keep his commandments. The only way to keep those commandments is to know those commandments. And one of the other commands in the Shema is that we were supposed to teach these things to our children, right? So the second thing I want you to think about is how am I teaching these truths to those I have influence over? So maybe it's not just your kids. Maybe it's not just children. Maybe it's just simply those people that you have some sort of influence over. Maybe it's your oikos, those 8 to 15 people that God has both supernaturally and strategically placed into your life. Maybe it's those people. But how are you teaching those truths on a regular, ba- on a regular basis? We're going to talk about it in the context of our kids. Because this was so important to the nation of Israel that they, they had to remind themselves through prayer every morning and every evening, twice a day, that they were not only going to love God with all of themselves, but they were also going to teach it to their kids. I, if I go a full day without remembering that, I simply don't do it. So it's no wonder that the Jewish nation says, hey, you know what? We're going to repeat this to ourselves when we start the day and when we end the day. So we recognize that we are going to do our best to love God with our entire body, and we are also going to do our best to teach these things to those people that we have influence over, specifically our kids. So again, I ask you then, what rhythms have you put into place in order to love God and feel close to him? Because I know for me, there are plenty of seasons, plenty of seasons when I feel incredibly close to God and then also plenty of seasons, probably just as many seasons, when I feel incredibly far away from God. That's normal. Okay, but we need to do our best to ensure that we are living the truth of loving God by remaining in his presence the best we can. And most of the time at church, we tell you, right, we tell you, we say, hey, you need to make sure you read your Bible. We need to make sure you pray. You need to make sure that uh, you're in community with other people. Those are like the big three, right? We always land on, on those sort of things, and you feel guilty if you're not doing one of them. And it's not, it's not made to make you feel guilty or anything like that. That's simply those are, those are good habits for you to get into. But I also know that some people really struggle with that idea of like, hey, I'm sitting down and reading my Bible, but I don't understand it, or I still feel distant from God, and that's not helping me at all. So you tell me then, what, did it, what is it that I am supposed to do in order to feel close to God? Because there's a lot of other things, actually, that you can build into your day in order to love God with your entire be- being better than you currently are. Because the way the Shema was written, it says that during your everyday life, you should do and teach these truths. So building into your everyday life ways to connect with God is incredibly important. So I put together... A, uh, a short list of things you can do to make sure your house and your routines are driving towards loving God well. Here it is. So here's some ways you can connect with God, right? We, I, I mentioned the first three. Read your Bible, pray, be in community. Great. You guys all know those. We've, we've beat those things to death. Okay, but how about some other ones? How about take a walk? I know for my wife, simply going on a walk, even if it's simply to go and get the mail, That's something that is completely and totally life-giving to her. Sleep. A lot of you guys, honestly, right now, you just need to take a nap. Go take a nap. Sometimes it's one of the most spiritual things you can do for yourself is go take a nap, wake up refreshed, and ready to focus on God. Put on music. 
or put on NPR, whatever you listen to to be able to focus on God. Do that. Put that on. Learn. This is one of the ways specifically when I was in my early 20s that I felt incredibly connected to God. I wanted to just learn every single thing that I could possibly learn about God. And as I learned about him, I felt like I was revealing more and more of his character when in reality, he was probably simply revealing more and more of his character to me through those different words. So maybe it's, man, you got to learn by grabbing a book by a theologian who's been dead for 500 years. Go nuts. Do it. Exercise. Go outside and exercise. I know you're like, gyms are closed. That's okay. I'm not asking you to get swole here. I'm asking you to go outside and exercise. Get some fresh air and enjoy God's creation in the midst of it. Cook a good meal. For all of us, that's not an option because simply a good meal for me is being able to make a quesadilla with a little bit of salsa. Okay? But for all of us, we really can actually eat a good meal. Okay, most, most restaurants right now, man, they, they got curbside pickup, they got delivery, whatever it may be. Eat a good meal. Journal. Get your thoughts out on paper, whether it's physically or digitally. Do it. Okay, garden. Again, get out, create, do something else than, than your normal standard rhythm of life. And if all of these don't work, the most important thing is the next one. Literally anything that helps you focus on God. Literally anything that helps you focus on God. That list of things that I just gave you, that's not an exhaustive list. Each and every one of us are wired differently to be able to connect to God in a different way. Each of us do that. Remember, it, God, God is the, Jesus is the Lord of your life. God is the Lord of your life. And as that becomes more and more apparent, you will teach about your love for him to anyone who will listen, especially those who are with you, like your kids. Anything, literally anything that helps you focus on God, do that. Establish that as a rhythm in your life. In the same way that we would attach it to our door frames or we would think about it when we wake up or go to sleep or anything like that, whatever it is, your connectivity and your love of God comes first. And then once that is in place, you teach it to those who are entrusted to your care. It's like the, the little oxygen masks that come down when the airplane is about to crash. You should probably say it a little differently, a little more encouraging words maybe. Uh, the little mask that come down, comes down when the airplane is losing cabin pressure. Okay? What do they tell you to do? You make sure that your mask is on first and correctly, then you have the opportunity to help those people around you. You can only help others love God better when you love him first. You can't encourage people when you're devoid of faith. You can't encourage people. You can't pour yourself out until you've been filled up, right? Whatever Christian axiom you want to put into place there, you can. But you can't help others love God better until you love him first. The minute we think that we're responsible for other people's spiritual growth is the minute that we've taken God off the throne and put ourselves in his place. My challenge to you this week is to make Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, your prayer both in the morning and in the evening to see how you need to better connect with God, to to see if you can simply by establishing that rhythm in your life that you would be able to take that rhythm and realize that it's our job to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, 
and to teach that to our kids. And simply by establishing a rhythm where we even just think about it, we will be able to do that even better. I mean, what would it look like if, if the church just simply started their day by saying, hey, the Lord is one. I'm subject to him, and I'm subject to him alone. I'm going to love him to the best of my ability, and I'm going to teach others about it. If we started our day with that determination, and we ended our day with that determination, that we would be more focused on mission and less focused on breaking news about whatever pandemic is going to happen next or killer wasps or whatever is happening in the month of May now that we would be more focused on mission and all of those other things would simply be white noise because we recognize that our responsibility as Christians is to love the Lord our God and to teach those things to our children. We would care a whole lot more about people's eternity and less about their temporary situations. Not that those don't matter, but we'll be more concerned about their eternity that our next generation would see our strong connection to God and want to emulate that connection because that connection is an authentic one and they wouldn't flee from it simply because it ends up being lip service. It's an important step to take, church. It's our responsibility to connect with God and teach our kids about him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we're, uh, we're thankful for you and we're thankful for your son. I just, I thank you for moms. And that moms so often do this so well, of simply modeling what it looks like to love the Lord, to love you with their entire hearts. So God, I just pray for them right now. I thank you for all of them right now. But God, beyond that, I pray Deuteronomy 6. God, that we would say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We love the Lord your God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. These commands that you give us today are to be on our hearts. God, that we would impress them on our kids, that we would talk about them when we sit at home and when we walk along the road, when we lie down and when we get up that we would tie them as symbols on our hands and bind them on our foreheads, that we would write them on our door frames of our houses and on our gates. God, that we would recognize that it's our responsibility to love you and teach others about you, whether that's our kids or otherwise. God, give us boldness in that. And Father, I pray if there's those who are joining us today who don't yet know you, who want an opportunity to know you and give your life, give their life to you, that they would just pray along with me. They would say, Father, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. God, that you sent your Son on my behalf. I believe you sent your Son on my behalf to the cross to die for me and that he conquered death and see that I would choose to follow you every single day of my life that I would do my best to love you with my entire being. We love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.